Today I want to talk to you about moments, defining moments. There are moments in our life that define us. They mark the before and the after. Today we are celebrating a moment that has marked the before and after of Christianity. It was a moment in time, a moment in history, in which a stone was rolled away. People peered within a cave, and it was empty. We call it the resurrection. It's a moment in time that changed everything, but there are moments in our life that are defining moments. I think of some of them in my life, the birth of my first child. It was a defining moment. When I held that child for the first time, I had become a father. The day that I stood before my wife and I said, I do, it was a defining moment. It changed my life. It changed my existence. It was a key defining moment. I believe that that happens in life. But I believe it also happens spiritually to us as well. There are moments in your existence spiritually that are defining moments. They mark a before and they mark an after. And those defining moments are important because I believe that they don't just happen randomly. There's buildup to those moments. In fact, I happen to believe that some of you have been building up to your defining moment, and maybe today is a defining moment for some of you. And I want to go to this passage found in Mark chapter 5, the Gospel of Mark. It's also found in the same account, is found in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. It's an account that any father or mother could relate to, because it's about a father and his 12-year-old daughter. In this case, a 12-year-old daughter, we don't know her name, but she is very ill. In fact, she is ill to the point of death. If you've ever had a child that was sick, there's something about watching your child suffer that just is overwhelming. How about it, parents? Uh, they have croup cough, or they're sick, or their fever is high, and you just want to help them, want to change it, you want to fix them, and nothing likes watching a child that's sick. And in this case, this 12-year-old girl was sick, very sick. The Bible tells us that she was so sick that her father started to panic, and he knew that unless he got help, not just the help of a doctor, but he needed more than the help of a doctor. And how many of you know that sometimes in life there are professionals that can help us, a therapist can help us, a doctor can help us, an accountant can help us, but there are times where not even professionals can help us, and we need something bigger than a professional. We need the hand of God. And this man, his name was Jairus. He was the ruler of the synagogue, which means that he was in charge of managing the synagogue, which was the equivalent of the church in those days. He was an administrator, not a priest, but he managed the synagogue. It was an important position. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him, while he was by the lake. 
one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Uh, as you prepare for your defining moment, I believe that there's three choices that people have to make. Three choices. Uh, number one, before your defining moment, you will need to decide where you turn for help. Where you turn for help. You know, there's a lot of people that have been in crisis lately. A lot of people. The Washington Post recently indicated that teenagers, 40% of teenagers, indicate that they are perpetually sad and chronically hopeless. Four out of every ten teenagers view their life in a very, very sad, they're depressed. We have individuals today, COVID, cultural issues, job changes, family problems, escalation of addiction in people's lives has caused many people to go in crisis. Counselors are overwhelmed these days. There's a waiting line to try to get into a counseling appointment because so many people find themselves at a very critical crisis point in their life. This man's daughter was experiencing possible death, and so he had to ask, where will I turn for help? Where will I go? I'm sure that he went to the doctors, but this was beyond doctors. Now he was saying, where will I turn? And I believe that everybody has a choice to make when you're in a critical situation, a crisis moment, a defining moment. You have to ask yourself, where will I turn? Some people turn to the local bar and get their counsel from other guys that are at the local bar a little juiced up. Saying, you know, I'm going through this. What do you think? Oh, buddy, if I were you, I would. <laughs> Some people run to relationships and feel like if I just had the right man or the right woman, that would fill me. Some people run to substance. If I just, it makes me feel good at night, and so I just smoke a couple, it just makes me feel a little bit relaxed, and then pretty soon you have to smoke more and more and more, and pretty soon it dominates you, and you can't survive or function without it. A lot of people go to a lot of things, and you have to ask yourself, where will I go? Where will I turn for help? Jairus put himself in the presence of Jesus. He humbled himself. He requested earnestly. He had confidence that Jesus would change it, but he made a decision, I will turn to Jesus. You're in a Christian church this morning on Easter Sunday, so I'm assuming that most of you are at least sympathizers with Christianity. Maybe you're not, you don't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe this is the first time in years you've been to church. I've had people that tell me sometimes they show up and they say, you know, I've been reluctant to come to church because, I don't know, I'm not living really right and I'm just afraid the roof's going to cave in or something's going to happen. Let me tell you, God doesn't live in a church building. Hello. <laughs> He's much bigger than a church building. You're not catching God by surprise. He's not like, oh, you, I lost track of you. Now that you're in the church, I see you. No, that's not how it works. 
This is not a God contained to a building. But I'm glad that you're here on Easter Sunday. So you make a choice about where you turn to help. Number two, before your moment, you will need to decide what voice you're listening to. It tells us in verse 32, uh, before verse 32, it indicates that as Jesus was on on the road to Jairus' house, a crowd was gathering around him. Jesus was known to heal the sick, the blind. He spoke words that would confound people. Some were looking for a liberator. Others were looking for a rabbi. Some were looking for a healer. Many were looking for a miracle. But they pressed around Jesus, gathered around Jesus, and as he made his way to Jairus' house, a woman that had been sick for 12 years with hemorrhaging and bleeding reached to the crowd, and he touched She touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me? And he would not move on until he identified the person that touched him with faith and finally had a conversation. And Jairus, all the while, is thinking, my daughter's dying. Jesus, don't talk to this woman. Why are we stopped here? Let's move it. While this conversation is happening... The Bible tells us in verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking to the woman, some men came from Jairus' house, the synagogue ruler, and they said these words, your daughter is dead. So they whisper these words in his ear, Jairus, leave Jesus alone. Your daughter's dead. And while he's hearing these words whispered on this side, he's hearing Jesus on the other side saying, don't be afraid, just believe. It's the tension between two voices. All of us here experience that. You're hearing one voice saying, it's over. Why are you trying? Give up. It's not worth it. It's never going to change. It's hopeless. Move on. It's dead. And on the other side, you're hearing maybe the voice of Jesus saying, don't be afraid. Don't let fear grip you. Don't be overwhelmed by fear. Trust me. Just believe it's not too late. He has one voice in one ear, one voice in another ear, and we're hearing it at the same time. Some of you, even as you sit here this morning, are struggling with the two voices. The voice of unbelief, the voice of struggle, the voice of depression, the voice of hopelessness, the voice of crisis, the voice of I cannot change, the voice of I cannot come to God, the voice of shame, the voice of guilt, the voice of not being good enough, and yet you also hear the voice of God. I hope, speaking into ear, saying, there is an opportunity, there is chance, it's not too late, he's a God of grace, there's second chances, healing and forgiveness is free, hopefully you, you hear the voice of God within the other voices. You see, before your moment, I believe that you'll need to decide where to turn, will you turn to Jesus? Before your moment, you need to decide 
What voice will you listen to? There's channels that you choose. Do I stay on the faith channel or do I stay on the other channel? You know, some of you have been on the other channel. Sometimes the most dangerous place to be is alone with that voice. You know the voice I'm talking about. The voice of hopelessness, the voice of sadness and despair, the voice of negativity, the voice of criticism, the voice that drains you of life, the voice that speaks gloom over your future, the voice that withers you, it takes your energy, it saps your soul. It depletes you so you can barely get out of bed. There's a third choice that people have to make before that moment. And it's found in verse 39. Before that moment, you'll also have to decide to close the door and believe, believe in the power and the word of Jesus, if we're talking about a spiritual moment. Notice what happens. Jesus finally arrives at the house where the 12-year-old has died. By this time, mourners had gathered around, and in the Jewish culture, you had professional mourners. Uh, they would come, and they were professional wailers. I don't know what their audition looked like. Let's see. Okay, wail. Let's see how you look. Ah, okay, you're pretty good. Let's see you. They were professional mourners in those days, and so they would come and they would wail at funerals, and they would, uh, uh, you know, cause a ruckus and commotion. And so Jesus walks to the house of Jairus, and he hears commotion and people wailing, and he says, what are you, what is all the commotion about? Um, and he speaks about the destiny of this girl, and immediately the mourners turn to laughing, he says, well, all this commotion, verse 40, but they laughed at him. They laughed at him. And I love this. And after he had put them all out. You know, sometimes you need to close the door on the doubters, the laughers, the cynics, the critics. Sometimes you just need to close the door. You know what? I, I'm not going to hate you, but I'm going to close the door so I can't hear you. There's always going to be cynics around you that don't believe that you can change, that don't believe that God can bring about a miracle, that don't believe that there's hope in the future. And sometimes you just need to close the door, and that's what he says. And when he had put them all out, he closed the door, and he brought inside the room three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the parents. So we have three select disciples that were also at the Mount of Transfiguration. We have two mourning parents because their daughter's dead. Jairus is seeing his daughter dead for the first time. He walks in this room, and there he can't believe it. The girl that laughed and the girl that danced around, the joy of his heart is laying there lifeless. I'm sure the mother's crying, the father's overwhelmed, the disciples are looking at each other. The mourners are outside, the door is closed. 
And Jesus walks up to that lifeless body of that 12-year-old girl. The Bible says that he took her by the hand, a limp, lifeless hand. And he said to her, Talita Kum. Talita Kum. You say, well, Pastor, what in the world does that mean? Well, you know, there were two languages that most people spoke in those days. They spoke Greek because it was the trade language. And in Galilee, they spoke Aramaic. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, in Aramaic. Aramaic was the language of the people. It was the language of the heart. It was what they grew up speaking. If she would have been in Chicago, in the southwest side of Chicago, from a Mexican background, Jesus would have said, Mijita, <laughs> levántate. <laughs> I would say it in Polish, but I don't speak Polish. So, <laughs> but, but here's what I want you to capture. Here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that Jesus stepped into a place where there was death, a dream that, was, that had stopped breathing, a critical situation, a life-defining moment. His presence, his touch, and his word changed everything. Because here's the thing. It would be not too much longer that Jesus himself would die on a cross and suffer and be pierced. And there would be a self-resurrection. This was a peek at the power of Jesus over death and life. And you say, well, what transpired there? Well, what transpired there is that the Bible says that Jesus, who was born of a virgin, that means that there was no biological father involved in the process of his birth. He was born of a virgin, but that Jesus, according to the Bible, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was born, he lived a sinless life. When he was about 30 years old, he activated into ministry and he started to do what he did. But he came for a purpose, a mission, and that mission was to bring reconciliation, peace between people that were far from God and bring them to God the Father because we could not pay a price on our own. Someone had to pay it for us. And the Bible says that he had power over life, death, physical, and spiritual. I want you to notice what happened in this place. When Jesus touched this little girl, there's something that happened. There's a power that came from the person of Jesus, went through the hand of Jesus, and that power went into this little girl, and this power caused her heart to beat. This power caused breath to come into her lungs. And the Bible says that she woke up when he said, Talita kum, 
And then they said, get her something to eat, because, you know, she's 12 years old, and they're always hungry. And so she came to life. I believe that some of you, God has been building up for a defining moment. I think some of you are here today, and you don't even know why you're here, but you've heard the whispers of God. You don't know why you're here, but you've heard God reaching out to you, pulling at you through a conversation, through a friend, through something in your heart. You haven't been able to describe it. You haven't been able to diagnose it. You, hope, you haven't told people about it. You, you, you've kind of tried to brush it away, but you know that God has been drawing you, pulling you, drawing you to himself in a spiritual way, in a silent way, through your mind, through your heart, through your spirit. You've seen signs. There's things that have awakened you, that have caused you to wonder, and you wonder, why is all this happening? What's going on in life? And I can tell you what it is. It's the Father drawing you to himself for a defining moment that changes what is dead and brings it to life. So as we close today, I want you to just stand quietly with me, would you? I'm going to bring to the center right here to the stage, I'm going to have them Bring a, a symbol that you're well familiar with. It's the symbol of a cross. There's not a Jesus on the cross because Jesus isn't on the cross. What we celebrate today is the resurrection. It means He... Some of you walked in this building and you thought, wow, this is a poor church. They don't have statues. They can't afford them yet. Maybe one day they'll be able to afford some statues. The reason that we don't is I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that you, you, you see a suffering Jesus and want to touch him and kind of you're, you're frozen in history when Jesus suffered. The reason that we have an empty cross is that, yeah, he suffered and it's worth commenting on. But he rose on the third day, and he's alive with power. So I brought this cross here because this cross is symbolic of the resurrection of Jesus, the God who brings to life. And here's how we're going to close this service. I don't have a lot of time, so I have to, we have four services, six services today so, but I want to give you an opportunity. What's been on my heart is three types of people today. Been my heart is those of you that are prodigals, that at one time you were walking with God, that one time you had a good, strong relationship with God, but you've allowed something to occur in your life that's drifted you away from the Father. He's in the distance. You see him. You hear him. You know he's there. But really, you have the heart of a prodigal. You've, you're not with the Father. He's there. But God is calling you. Maybe today God is resurrecting a heart that has gotten cold spiritually. And God is saying, it's time to come to the Father. I want to resurrect your fire, your faith. I want to resurrect your drive, your calling your hunger for God that you had. I want to resurrect that. You've let it die, but let the Father bring it to life. 
I believe that there's others here today that maybe you're here and you've never come to the Father. It's a defining moment. The Bible calls it being born again. Happened to me when I was 15. I made a choice. I don't believe it happens in an absence. I believe that God is calling some of you, but some of you for the first time in your life, you need to come to Jesus and say, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus. I've heard. I've been around you. I believe in you, but I've never surrendered my life to you. What it means when you surrender your life to him is that, is that you receive the forgiveness that comes from him, the peace with God, and he fills you with his Holy Spirit and gives you the power to start living a different life, a new life, a changed life. The Bible says all is new in God. Some of you, God is calling you to a surrender where you say, I finally believe. Touch me with your resurrection power. I want to follow you. Turn, the, turn myself from the old and go to the new. I need to be a follower of Jesus. And then I think there's some of you here that just like this girl, you need the healing power of God. And so here's what we're going to do as the musicians sing this song. I'm going to invite you to symbolically come if you're in one of those three categories and touch this cross and then go and kneel and allow God to release resurrection power in you. This is not a special cross from Jerusalem. We didn't import it. There's no holy nails here. This is probably from Home Depot <laughs> or Menards. But it's not the material, it's the symbol of the cross. And so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to start, I'd like to start here. I'm going to give three invitations with short time. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Mark, I've never given my life to Christ, but I've but God's been calling me, I could tell. Today I need to surrender my life to God. There's been signs, there's been, but I've never, I've never, the Bible says you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, it said, I'm a sinner, I need to give myself to God, come change me, wash me and forgive me. I need to follow you, Jesus. The Bible calls it being born again, but it has to be a public. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you've never confessed with your mouth, never bowed your knee and said, I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you're here, I'm going to ask you to come forward to this cross, but first of all, just if you're here and you say, I need to do that, Pastor, I know I, I need to, I want you just to lift your hand and say, I know I need to do that today. God is calling me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, we have kind of a dark auditorium, so I think I see some hands. You say, I need to follow Jesus. All right. There are some that are prodigals here that you've strayed from the Father, and you said, you know, I'm a prodigal, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm not where I need to be in God, but today I, I want God to resurrect my heart and spirit. And then there's some that need healing today, and you say, I need it may be healing of your soul, body, or spirit, but I need the healing power of God to touch me today. So here's what we're going to do. The musicians are going to sing. And what I'm going to ask that you do before you go and kneel, I'm going to ask that you just come and touch the cross. It's symbolic of this is the resurrection power of Jesus that changes me. And as they sing, I'm going to ask you to touch the cross and then go find a place to pray. 
If you're giving your life to Christ, if you're coming back to God, if you need healing, we have some prayer partners that will pray with you today. And again, we don't have a lot of time. And so I'm going to ask you if you come, don't linger at the cross because I don't want a big line. I want you just to touch it and then find a place to pray. I believe that for some of you today, it's your defining moment. Amen?